I greet you today in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Seeing Ms. Patricia Frazier play our piano prelude today really brought back memories because um, years and years ago when I was pastor in Hartsville, when Melody was just a baby, um, Patricia's late husband, Milton Frazier, was a colleague of mine there. He was pastor of the largest church in the city, and only in heaven will we know the thousands of people who were brought to Christ through his ministry. And what a blessing she is going to continue to be at Mount Horeb Church. Now, as usual, on the back of your bulletin is, a, is an outline of my message and I put it there for you to fill in those blanks and take with you because I want you to help spread the message this week. Because if you do that and keep it with you, somebody will come up to you and say, hey, you were at Mount Horeb Sunday, what did the preacher talk about? And you say, he talked about Jonah and the whale. And, you say, and they'll say, well, what did he say about Jonah and the whale? And you can say, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, he lifted up three great truths from that little book in the Bible, and here they are. And so, thank you for doing that, and thank you for being willing to do that. The scripture this morning, of course, is from the book of Jonah, beginning with the 17th verse of chapter 1, and if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And then down to verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> A few years ago, there was a sign on I-95 somewhere down in South Florida that said, be prepared to stop vehicle inspection station two miles ahead. But there was no vehicle inspection station two miles ahead. But there was an exit one mile ahead. And at that exit was law enforcement checking every car that exited and some of them were carrying illegal drugs. Their attempt to flee signified their guilt. 
Now, the American Civil Liberties Union got word about that and brought an official complaint claiming it was entrapment. And so the sign was removed. Our scripture lesson today is about a man who ran away, not from the law. He ran from God. His name was Jonah. And he had been given an assignment he didn't like. And so he tried to run away. Has God ever called you to a task that you did not like or want? Maybe you thought you didn't have the necessary gifts for this particular task. That was the situation with old Moses. He was called by God to lead all those Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses said, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. And God, with incredible patience, said, Moses, who made your mouth for heaven's sakes? I will help you speak. Or perhaps when God has called you, you had a different agenda. You had other things on your plate at the time. And you, in effect, said to the Lord, look, look, uh, I'm busy right now. But later on, when things clear up, I'll be willing to do what you call me to do. But remember, God's timing is always right. And God never asks you to do anything that is not in your best interest. Saying no to God is a sure recipe for an unfulfilled life. The late Dag Hammarskjöld was a Swedish diplomat who uh, served as the second Secretary General of the United Nations. He was a great man of faith and very wise. And I have one of his statements framed on my bookshelf at home. And it says this, only one feat is possible in life, not to have run away. Only one feat is possible in life, not to have run away. Jonah failed that test miserably, and God caught up with him. Now, when we left Jonah last Sunday, if you were here, uh, we left him treading water in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, God had ordered him to go preach to those people in Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was the superpower of the Middle East at that particular time. Assyria had invaded and plundered Jonah's home country of Israel numerous times, had hauled off citizens into exile and treated them with barbaric cruelty. And so what, what Jonah really wanted God to do was wipe Nineveh off the face of the earth. The last thing he wanted to do was go preach to them. A similar situation would prevail if God ordered me to go to Tehran and preach to the Ayatollah and the Iranians. I would go if he insisted, but I would ask God to put it in writing <laughs> and maybe have it notarized. Jonah said no to God's call. And he took a ship headed in the opposite direction. He was in Palestine and Nineveh was east, due east. He took a ship toward Tarshish, 550 miles west, near present-day Spain. He headed toward Tarshish. But God sent a terrible storm that almost wrecked the ship. Jonah was thrown overboard by pagan sailors who had more faith in Jonah's God than Jonah did. And then suddenly, the sea was calm again. You can run from God, 
but you cannot hide. Uh, take whatever ship you want to, to Tarshish or Bimini or Palm Springs or wherever. God always catches up with us. Verse 17 of chapter 1 tells us that God appointed a large fish to swallow Jonah, and he was in the belly of that fish for three days and nights. Now, some of us modern folks who are reared to be scientific and reasonable have problems with that. We say, come on. How is it possible for a man to be swallowed by a whale even and uh, to survive three days in that whale's belly? But my response to you is, look, if God can raise a dead man to life again, that whale stuff is minor league. And if you don't believe that he raised Jesus from the dead, St. Paul says that you're still in your sins and your faith is in vain. Can God cause a big fish to swallow a man? Of course. But if you get hung up on that miracle, you'll miss the real message of the book, of the Jonah story. This period in the whale's belly represented Jonah's dark night of the soul the lowest point in his life. Centuries later, Jesus would compare his own three days in the tomb with Jonah's three days in the belly of a whale. There in the fish's belly, Jonah finally decided to pray. Now, earlier, the captain of that ship had asked him to pray, but no, Jonah wouldn't do it. He was too stubborn, too angry then. Ah, oh, but now he's ready to pray. He's a lot more humble in that submarine growling prison. The entire second chapter of Jonah is a beautiful prayer to God, affirming that even in the black depths of a whale's innards, God is there supporting and caring. Then God spoke to the fish again. And when God speaks, things happen. That's the word throughout the Bible. Go back to the beginning when God created the universe. He didn't flex his muscles to do that. He spoke the word and it happened. Let there be light. There was light. All it took was his word. And God's word is also the guarantee of our salvation. In the precise moment when we say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I can't fix it, but I believe that when your son Jesus went to that cross, he nailed my sin there and paid for it, and that you raised him from the dead three days later, and I invite the risen Christ to be the Lord of my life. In the moment you say that, God speaks the word of your salvation, saying, you are my adopted child, forgiven and saved, destined for heaven, and nothing can snatch you out of my hand. God's word guarantees all that. And if you have never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, don't you leave this service today without doing that. And you will hear God's reassuring word that you are his adopted child. God spoke a word long ago and the big fish regurgitated Jonah on dry land, presumably back in Palestine where he started. Now think about this. Jonah had paid for ship's passage to Tarshish. Long way, hundreds of miles away. God cut off his escape route, rescued him from drowning, 
and then provided transportation, economy class, free of charge, belly of the whale, back to Palestine. One Sunday morning, uh, a teacher was uh, trying to uh, lead her kindergarten children in understanding Jonah and the whale. So she told the story. The little children were very attentive. And when she finished, she said, now what do we learn from the story of Jonah? And one bright little girl raised her hand and said, what we learn is people make whales sick. <laughs> well, Jonah's back on dry land. He cleaned himself up, breathed a sigh of relief, offered a heartfelt prayer of thanksgiving. And then the Lord gave him the same order, command that he'd given him before. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to those people and call them to repent. Now, it would have taken a world-class dummy to say no the second time. And Jonah did not say no. Very humbly, Jonah replied, I'm on my way. Jonah went to Nineveh and preached in that strange foreign metropolis, probably through an interpreter. He denounced the sinfulness of the people, warned them that God's judgment was coming if they did not repent. Jonah expected to be beaten, jailed, or run out of town on a rail. None of that happened. Instead, the people responded to his preaching. From the king on down, they repented. Now, I believe that our text for the morning conveys three great truths to us, and I want you to see them in print, tuck them in your heart, and take them home with you. First, no matter how low you go, God can reach you. No matter how low you go, God can reach you. I mean, how can you get lower than a whale's belly? In all the lowest places on earth, God is there. He may not be around. You may not see God clearly when things are just bubbling over with prosperity and health and everything is lovely. You may not see God as close, but you go to the lowest places on earth and that's where you'll see God in power. I mean, God is in the hostage's tiny cell in Syria. God is in that crowded chaos of a state penitentiary. God is even in the pathos of an urban ghetto. God is on the streets of San Francisco as dope addicts lie in their own filth today. Our extremity is God's opportunity. No matter how big a mess you are in today, the good news is God's in the mess with you. And he is ready to replace your hopelessness with hope if you let him. Each year in America, clinical depression strikes over 17 million people, the experts tell us. And the common symptoms of this extreme depression are persistent, sad, anxious, empty mood, difficulty sleeping, changes in appetite, loss of pleasure in activities that normally, formally were enjoyable. Depressed people often have trouble concentrating. They may experience feelings of hopelessness. They may have suicidal thoughts. It is a sad fact that in recent years, the suicide rate in America has been increasing at an alarming rate. Last year, 45,000 Americans committed suicide. 
And 25 times that number attempted to commit suicide but were unsuccessful. What this means is that last year in America, this prosperous free land, over 11 million people were so depressed that they tried to take their own lives. And I don't doubt that we have some in our congregation who are suffering depression. Here's the good news. Over 80% of depressed people can be cured by medication or Christian counseling or a combination of the two. When a person gets on the right medications, and there are more now than ever before, and trust in the God who will never fail or forsake her, that person can be healed, can be liberated from depression. When you're as low as a whale's belly, remember God is as near as your heartbeat. A few years ago, I preached in a revival up in Madison Heights, Virginia. And while there, I met a layman in that church named Buster. And Buster told me his story. He said that 25 years earlier, when he had just graduated from high school, he had no relationship with God or the church. And one night, he was driving his Volkswagen Bug, and he came to a railroad crossing, and he saw the train coming, but he thought he could beat the train across. He was wrong. The, cra the train crashed straight into his VW, destroying the car, leaving Buster with two broken legs, a broken jaw, and he lost one eye. He spent months in the hospital. And during those long days and nights in the hospital, God began to tap on the door of his heart. And Buster had to admit, to take a train in a direct collision with a VW and for you to be the driver and survive is something of a miracle. And he began to think, maybe God had something to do with the miracle. And if so, God may have a plan for my life. And there in the hospital, he invited Jesus Christ into his heart as his Savior and his Lord. Now he is a lay pastor in that church. And this is amazing. Buster even told me that he considers that collision with the train to have been a blessing. And I said, how do you figure that? He said, if it had not happened, I might never have found Christ. Remember, your extremity is God's opportunity. For anyone going through difficulties or depression today, these words of the psalmist are extremely powerful and true. God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. Deep in that whale's belly, Jonah turned to God, whose everlasting arms were already reaching out to him. And if today finds you a mile deep in trouble or depression, God yearns to lead you out of the pit. All he needs to hear from you is, help me, Lord. Here's the second truth to be declared from Jonah. God blesses obedience with glorious results. Jonah did not believe that his preaching would cause a revival in Nineveh any more than I believe that my preaching in Tehran would cause the Ayatollah and his people to repent. But Jonah obeyed orders and a nationwide revival ensued. Have you heard God calling you recently to a task? Are you running from some God-appointed task?
The late great Baptist minister Adrian Rogers used to say, most people want to serve God, but only in an advisory capacity. But if you're willing to obey rather than advise God, God will dazzle you with the results. When Robert Morrison, the pioneer missionary, got ready to sail to China in 1867, aboard that ship was a merchant and who said to Mr. Morrison with something of a cynical, amused smile, really, Mr. Morrison, do you expect uh, that you're going to be able to change the great Chinese empire? And Morrison replied, no, sir, but I expect that God will. And thanks to the work of missionaries like Robert Morrison, today the underground church in China may be the fastest growing church in the world. Allow me to share a personal time in my life when I was running from God's mission for me just as surely as Jonah did long time ago. When I was in high school, especially working in the MYF youth ministry, I felt a clear call from God to ordain ministry. And I said, yes, sir, I'll do it. Then I went off to college and sort of got away from my spiritual support system. And I began to have reservations about that commitment. Uh, my father, a pastor, I knew had never had anything other than a modest salary. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I wanted to make some serious money. And I began to get, I don't know, I got the idea that if I would become an attorney and have a flexible moral standards, I could make a pile of money. Now, let me say parenthetically, God loves good lawyers. Some of the finest Christian laymen I've had the privilege to work with have been attorneys. But God didn't like my legal plans because the motivation was awful. And God had other plans for me. Junior year in college, I had a term paper due on December 1. And by mid-November, I had not gotten around to it. So I decided to stay at school over Thanksgiving holidays and do the term paper. I was the only one in the dormitory. Empty except me. God can get to you in an empty dormitory. And God and I had conversation. Not verbal, but very, very clear. God said, son, I thought you were committed to becoming a pastor. I said, Lord, I've got some reservations about that. God said, but you made, I made a call to you and you made a commitment. I said, Lord, I haven't said no to that commitment yet. Uh, and I promise you this, if I get a chance to try it out provisionally to sort of put my feet in the water, so to speak, I promise you I'll do that. Now, if you don't mind, I got to get back to this term paper. Within two weeks, I got a phone call from a district superintendent in Greenwood, a wonderful man named Bryce Herbert. How he got my name, I don't have a clue. He said, Bill, we've got this little church in Lawrence and the pastor that we want to assign there cannot arrive until September. We need a summer pastor. Would you be willing to do it? My goodness, I wanted to run to Tarshish so badly. 
How badly I wanted to say no. I had this comfortable summer job lined up at the highway department. I could eat mama's cooking and have plenty of time to play. But really the main thing, I was scared to death of the process. I was 19 years old. I mean, green as grass. How in the world could I, could I do that? I mean, I didn't know how to conduct a funeral. I hardly knew which end of a baby to baptize. I was 19 years old. But I just promised the Lord, if you get a chance to put your feet in the water, you'll do it. Something deep within me said, you better, you better go. So I went, and I remember the day early in June when I arrived at the parsonage of St. James Church in Lawrence, and some of the ladies of the church knew the new pastor was coming, so they had brought food. And they saw me get out of the car, and, and I know what they were thinking. Mercy, the conference must be desperate. They're sending children out to do the work of the ministry. I think back on that summer now so many times with those people, good blue-collar folks, most of whom worked at Watts Mill in, in Lawrence. If they had laughed at me for anything, if they had made fun of me, if they had criticized me for anything, I would have run to Tarshish so fast but they were the opposite. They took me under their arms. They taught me how to run the bulletin off on a mimeograph machine without slinging ink all over the place. They took me skiing in Lake Greenwood. They fed me no telling how many meals in their home. They loved me. Let me tell you this. At the end of that summer, you couldn't have pried me away from the ministry with a six-figure income. I was committed to life. God had expressed his call through the good people of St. James Church. Whenever you risk a bit in answer to God's call, God will dazzle you with his creative power. Here's the third truth from the story of Jonah. Nobody is off limits for God's love. Nobody is off limits for God's love. Occasionally, I find in my mailbox one of these postcards with a picture of a missing child. I'm sure you get those cards from time to time. And I usually look at that picture, and sometimes I imagine if I were the father of that little girl and how desperate I would be to find her. And then I utter a heartfelt prayer for her safe return. And then sometimes it occurs to me that the Heavenly Father is searching for every spiritually lost person with more desperation, more urgency than even the best parent could ever feel for a lost child. St. Paul assured his young associate Timothy that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Jonah's heart was not big enough to include those hated folks in Nineveh. Jonah was Palestinian-born, Palestinian-bred, and rather than help Nineveh, he'd rather be Palestinian dead. God had to enlarge Jonah's heart, and he may want to do the same for you and me. What kind of hearts does God want us to have? Well, maybe like the folks in the intensive care unit waiting room of the hospital. I've spent a lot of time there over the years. 
ministering to folks who are there, deeply concerned about their loved one who is in a life-threatening situation. Sitting there are people of all races and classes, but they've got a marvelous unity because all of them are concerned about the same thing. The next doctor's report. Will my spouse make it? Will my child walk again? Will she be paralyzed? The people in the ICU waiting room can't do enough for each other. May I get you a cup of coffee? I'll take messages for you while you go get some lunch. Distinctions of class and race just melt away because the sanitation worker's wife is just as dear to him as the university professor's wife is to him. In the ICU waiting room, people often pray for the loved ones of folks whom they've never met. Wouldn't the world be better if we could spread the mentality of the ICU waiting room? All of our hearts need a bigger space for the least, the lost, the lonely, and the hurting. I recall a time years ago when a Methodist preacher got into deep trouble because of a moral failing. In fact, he had to turn in his credentials because of his sin. And I was talking to my father about it. He was retired pastor at that time. And uh, I went on a little tirade. I said, Papa, they ought to throw the book at this guy because not only did he virtually destroy his local church by his sin, but his sin cast doubt on the credibility of all the rest of us clergy. Nothing they do to him is bad enough, severe enough in the way of punishment. Papa heard my tirade, and when I finally stopped, he said, Son, when you say your prayers tonight, thank God that you were not tempted as this man was, and ask God to help you and all the other preachers who are supposed to be this man's brothers to help him get on his feet again. Suddenly I realized that I was like that hard-hearted Jonah. And Papa was like our big-hearted God. There's a beautiful mountain peak that many of you have visited right near the border of North and South Carolina. It's an open-air chapel, and it's appropriately called Pretty Place. And from that lofty spot, one can see on a clear day three states. And there's a plaque down there on the front that has words that are so beautiful and true that they're almost biblical. You can only see a little of the ocean a few miles distant from the sandy shore. But out there, just beyond the eye's horizon, there's more, immeasurably more. You can only see a little of God's loving, a few precious treasures from His mighty store. But out there, just beyond the eye's horizon, there's more, immeasurably more. God had to perform spiritual heart surgery on old Jonah to replace his prejudice and meanness with compassion and grace. And today, America needs that same miracle because folks today in America, instead of having brotherhood from sea to shining sea, we see our beloved country torn by discord and divisions not just the normal political battles between Republicans and Democrats, between liberals and conservatives. No, no, I'm talking about deeper antagonisms between the races and between the rich and the poor. 
And there are some politicians out there who are just pouring gasoline on the fires of discord. As these hostile groups stare at each other across the barricades, America needs some Christians who will reconcile instead of retaliate, who will offer olive branches instead of insults. Today would be a great day for us to resolve to be less like hard-hearted Jonah and more like big-hearted God. Reconciliation in America is not likely to begin in Washington, D.C. It could begin with you and me. Listen as Melody sings the challenge. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me.